Welcome to the Beware the Moon podcast. My name is Hannah, and today we're going to be doing something just a little bit different. Uh, usually I talk about horror movies on this podcast, but today I'm going to be talking about a horror book. It's called Gone to See the River Man by an author named Christopher Triana. I saw this book on someone's book talk, talking about horror movies that really, you know, just kind of fucked him up. And <laughs> just, just put it out there, frankly. And, uh... I am always looking for something different, something a little bit heavier, something that's got a little bit more bite to it, I guess you could say, than your average horror, whatever, you know, whether it be a movie or a book or whatnot. Personally, I have never really found a Stephen King book interesting. Uh, granted, I've only tried like three different St Stephen King books out of the probably like 400 that he's published or whatever. But um, I just always, he doesn't draw me in right away. And then knowing what the book is essentially about, and I just, I don't find the material interesting or scary, to be honest. Um, I know with certain books, there are more fucked up things in the book than there are in the movie. Uh, for instance, in It, I know that the kids have like an orgy um, after they defeat It the first time in the sewers. Not really something I want to take part of mentally. Um, I say that, and then I've al I'm also recommending Gone to See the River Man. But anyway, um, which someone's like, what? Hang on, just wait, just wait. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's horrifying in its own right, but most of it does not horrify me. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I've never found a horror author that really draws me in right away. And clicks with me. But Christopher Triana, he has a really excellent way of writing. Um, it's very fluid. He's not spending a lot of time talking about things that I perceive as useless. Um, if he's describing something, there's a reason for it. It's not like he's going around describing every bookshelf the character sees, or every dresser the character sees, or every room the character has in their house, even though we're not going to be in the house for longer than two minutes of the story. He really has um, a succinct way of writing that I just, I very much enjoy. And on top of that, his writing is very unique. Um, the storyline is super interesting for this one. Um, so Gone to See the River Man is about this woman who has a pen pal relationship with a serial killer. And uh, the serial killer has plenty of groupies, you could say. Um, I guess that's just kind of a fact of reality. When there's a serial killer, they get convicted, they're in prison, people start writing to them. And she's one of those people, and he has singled her out of all the other women who write to him. And he says, I have a task for you. And the task is he wants her to go to an old cabin of his, collect a key, and then give the key to this man known as the River Man. Um, and that's the basics of the story. That's kind of like the flap jacket um, summary, you could say. Um, but it is a lot more than that. If you are looking for something deeply fucked up and something that is just interesting and horrifying, this is a book for you. Um, definitely check your trigger warnings. So the trigger warnings for this one would be um, underage 
sex, underage rape, incest, and that sounds horrible. And if you had said that to me before I read this book, I would have been probably super against it and probably not have read it. Um, but I strongly encourage you to maybe overlook that a little bit, uh, depending on where you're at. Um, for me, I'm on I'm on the good medication, uh, so I I was able to digest this one, and I really enjoyed um, the storyline of it. Um, and like I said, those trigger warnings seem really hefty and horrible. Um, I mean, this is a horror book. It's not rainbows and butterflies, guys. It is horror, but uh, it is really, really interesting. And that's my spoiler-free review. I will definitely say that before before I actually bought this book, I was looking at reviews to see, you know, what kind of horror it was, if it would be interesting for me, all that good stuff. And I saw a review from the Goodreads site, and the review said something along the lines of, you know, Christopher Triana writes these characters that are, you know, very deeply fucked up, and... The main character, you know she's a horrible person, but you don't want anything bad to happen to her. And I found myself, while I was reading, thinking the same thing. Like, I did not want anything bad to happen to the two main characters. Um, and one of them is definitely a better person than the other. Also, I apologize for any weird background sounds. My dogs are doing their thing. My, I have two rats now, they're doing their thing, so... Anyway, um, I found myself not wanting anything bad to happen to either of the main characters. Um, and even through to the end, I kind of wanted, I, I really wanted things to turn out well for them. And I guess from the viewpoint of the one character, it did. But uh, in a realistic way, no, it did not. So this is not a happy ending book either. Uh, spoiler alert. That's probably the most spoilery I will get in the non-spoiler section. And now on to the actual review. So, this story is about a lady named Lori. So, Lori, it kind of starts off, Lori already has this established relationship with serial killer Edmund Cox. Um, like I said before, she's been his pen pal for a little while. She lives with her sister, Abby, and it's established pretty quick that Abby has had some kind of an accident because she's disabled. Um, you get the feeling first that she's disabled and you're not sure why, and then comes the accident part. So, Abby requires Lori to take care of her, which is a very clever plot device, and it's also very interesting, and it creates a lot of the conflict between the characters and tension, which is freaking awesome. So Lori has this established relationship with Edmund Cox. Abby is in a childlike state because of her accident, and she kind of teases her sister about her quote-unquote boyfriend, you know, and Lori can't be bothered really with giving Abby the details because it's just too complicated for Abby, and it would be a headache for Lori, so Lori just kind of lets her think whatever she wants. So, Lori pretty quickly goes to the prison to visit Edmund, and he asks her, hey, did you think about my my proposal? And she says, yeah, I'm going to do it, you know, and she's had some inner conflict about whether or not she's going to do it, but she decides she's going to do it. So, he tells her, you know, you got to get the key from the chest, you know, he, you've got the map, you know, you take it down to the river man, and she's like, does he have any other name? And he's like, no, he's just the river man. Kind of like, you'll know him when you see him. So, 
Lori goes back home, lets Abby know the situation in the most basic form. You know, she's going to go away for a few days, do something for her friend. Abby doesn't want her to leave, and Lori is going back and forth with it, but because Abby is being so persistent, she decides, okay, fine, you can come with me, which is a horrible decision any way you slice it. Um, she's going to be hiking through the woods. Uh, Abby's legs are not great. Um, that's a terrible decision. Abby, Lori's on the run for, on a, uh, run an errand for a serial killer. Also, um, not, not great. Not a great thing to bring your disabled sister to. Um, yeah, just like all around so far, not getting good vibes from that decision. But it's exceptionally important that she brings her sister with her for reasons we will, uh, clarify down the road. So, Lori and Abby go out to Edmund's hometown, which is called Killen. K-I-L-L-E-N. Yeah, not ominous or weird at all. So they go out to Killen, and they're driving down this dirt road, and they're, they stop, and they get out, and they have to walk, and they see this preacher man who does not look normal. Um, and he can tell by, you know, what Lori has that she's got a companion, even though the companion is hiding, and Abby is terrified of this man. Um, and Lori's pretty afraid of him, too, but, you know, she's like, maybe he's just a normal guy, blah, blah, blah. He seems creepy. The description of him is fantastic. Um, it reminds me of Poltergeist 2, the preacher man in that. <laughs> like, I just, you just get those vibes from this guy. So, uh, he walks on in the rain, they're out in the rain, and so they decide, you know, to go ahead and go, and, you know, there's, like, this inner backstory going on as well from when they were teenagers, and when they were teenagers, Abby was bright and beautiful and vibrant, and Lori felt like she was none of these things. She was shy, she wasn't as beautiful as her older sister, um, she wasn't outgoing, of course, and she felt like she wasn't as smart or anything like that. She was not wanted as Abby was, she felt. So, um, that's kind of established. They have, the three siblings are, Abby's the oldest, then it's Lori, and then their younger brother is Pete. And Abby and Lori used to go out into the woods behind their house and swing from the swing out over this cliff and into the creek. But you had to do it very specifically or you would crush your bones. So uh, they go out there one day with Pete when Pete is deemed old enough by their parents. And uh, Abby swings out and drops into the creek and is like, okay, Pete, it's your turn. Pete doesn't want to do it. Now we see this from Pete's point of view. And Pete really looks up to Abby. He really loves Abby. And this is the first time in his life that he kind of likes Lori more because Lori is like, hey, he's scared. He doesn't want to do it. Abby's like, push him. And she's like, no, I'm not going to push him. He doesn't want to do it. And she's like, it's okay, Pete. You're not ready to do it. It's fine. And it's like a really sweet sibling moment. So um, back to what's going on present day, you know, um, Lori's contemplating her relationship with Edmund a lot. Um, part of this contemplation is what she wants out of this relationship with him. 
And she, of course, is thinking about Abby's uh, teasings about them getting married. And she has no preconceived notions that that's going to ever happen. Um, he's a serial killer, and we find out through different letters that they've exchanged that he gets off on killing people, um, and specifically women. Um, he talks to her about how his uncle, I think his name is Uncle Zeke, was his kind of his childhood hero. But this uncle of his fought in Nam, and then he, when he came back, he, you know, told all these stories to Edmund and, you know, showed him how to shoot and this and that and the other and spent a ton of time with him and shared photos of his from Nam and the horrible things that they would do to the women there, uh, including kill them and rape them. And that's kind of where Edmund got this fetish of his for blood and sex. Um, and he, he says he, you know, he can really only get off the way he wants to when there's blood involved and murder and death. So obviously it's not going to be a very wonderful relationship if she ever gets into that sort of relationship with him. It won't last very long. Um, and it's very interesting because it, I think it really does sh kind of touch on like developmental sort of, um, you know, they say nature versus nurture, and so maybe he had a little bit of that nature, but because of his uncle, that was also nurtured in him. So that's interesting to me from a psychological standpoint, and I like that uh, Christopher Triana kind of made that part of the story. So uh, Lori and Abby are going through the woods, and Abby's really excited to get to this cabin, um, she thinks it's going to be like the fort that they used to play in when they were younger and they're going to eat lunch there and then go see the river man and then head home basically. But that's not what happens, of course. Um, they get there and the cabin is um, pretty much a shithole. Um, it's barely hanging on there. It's old. It's rotting. It's filthy. Like... Lori had this kind of romanticized version of a cabin in her head of like, you know, modern day cabins where you go and you vacation with your family and it's a nice log cabin has, you know, restroom, has kitchen, it has, you know, rooms, it's, you know, big, but this is basically um, a shack that God spat on and it has since been rotting. Um, and so she gets there with her sister, convinces her sister to sit outside while she looks for this chest with this key. And she's looking around and there's no chest. None of the drawers have a key. There's no cabinets with any keys. The table, the only table in the shack has no drawers either. So there's no room for keys there. And right as she's about to leave, she notices, um, a little knob on the floor, one of those rings that pull up and open a cellar. So she opens the cellar and this foul stench just hits her. Um, and she goes down and just to, just to check, she's told Edmund she was going to do this and she's dead set on it. Like Lori has established that she does not make decisions in her life. Her life has kind of been decided for her at this point, and she has never really broken free of that, and this is her one chance to do that. This is her chance to decide something for herself and go after something that she truly wants, and she's not going to give it up. So she goes into the cellar, 
And there's a dead body, of course, because this is a serial killer shack in the middle of the woods that the police don't know about. So obviously there's going to be a dead body there. And it's this, you know, woman who's been just filleted open from her crotch to her chest. And Lori, and it's, she's just been left there to rot. So Lori, of course, vomits um, and scrambles out of there. And she's like, oh, disgusted. And she, you know, she knows what Edmund is, but this is like the realization of it hit slapping her in the face. So she's like, you know, we're, still just like torn up about this key and then she remembers Edmund saying the key is in the chest and there's a dead body of a woman in the cellar and she's like oh, fuck because she just knows you know so she goes back down there and lovely stuff this rat crawls out of this dead body and up into the crotch at some point there's worms coming out of this thing it is rotting and it's still pretty intact for something that's rotting just because of probably the temperature in the cellar because it's dank in there it's moist it's disgusting so she's like Ugh. so she goes and starts pulling out stuff from the chest she's just feeling in there and it's disgusted but she's like I've come this far I don't want to give up he's trusting me with this Versus all the other women he talks to. There's one in particular that bothers her named Nico. And she's like, you know, he's trusting me over her. I gotta get, I gotta do this. So she's searching in the chest and digging. And she pulls out all this nasty black gunk. And anytime she feels anything, she pulls her hand out to see what it is. She's pulling out shards of bone. Just, just all kinds of nasty stuff. Until eventually she does come across the key. And she's like, oh, finally. And before she can leave the cellar, it slams shut. And she's like, what the fuck? And Abby has been acting kind of weird. So she's like, Abby, let me out. And she hears laughter, but it's not Abby's laughter. It sounds like a little kid's laugh. And so she's pounding on the cellar and pounding on the cellar and pounding on the cellar. And finally she gets out. Um, she's like, Abby, what the hell? And Abby was like, it wasn't me. And she's like, then who was it who was here? And she says, it's Pete. It was Pete, their younger brother. And Lori does not like to think about Pete. She doesn't like to mention Pete. She won't say Pete's name. She's just disgusted by the memory of her younger brother, which is really weird. And, and not necessarily disgusted, but just like haunted by it. Like very specifically her, she, she just won't talk about it, you know? So she doesn't even say his name, but she's like, he's been dead for years. And I'm not sure if it's at this point that Abby says something about, you know, she asked the river man to bring Pete back. That's what she wants to ask the river man. And Lori kind of rolls her eyes and is like, you know, he's not some genie in a bottle. Like, you don't get to make wishes. She's just bringing a key to this guy. But whatever, they leave and, you know, Lori's a little spooked because Abby's been acting funky and they're treading through the forest again. And... She's really hoping to come across this cabin from with the river man pretty quick. And uh, night is falling and it becomes very apparent that they are not going to make it there tonight. Um, and as they're walking, she, you know, Abby says, uh, Abby gets into an argument with her and says, fuck you, Lori. And Lori is mortified because Abby never swears, uh, especially not at her. Um, she doesn't know what to make of this. And as they're walking through the woods... Uh, a man with a shotgun appears 
um, and he's asking them questions, and they're kind of freaked out, and Lori's doing her best to stand in front of Abby so Abby can't see the gun because Abby has a really bad terrors. Sometimes she just goes into panic fits and just is terrified of everything. And Lori's like, we do not have time for that. We're in the middle of the woods. Like, that's not going to be good. So she's kind of shielding Abby a little bit just because of that. And this man uh, decides they're okay um, he's cool with them and he's like, you guys can stay in my cabin if you'd like for the night. And he's just genuinely a, a good dude. This guy, I forget his real first name, but they call him Buzz. He, he says they call him Buzz and, uh, his name is Bud, Buzz Fitz, Fitter, Fredderjohn, Fitterjohn, something really weird made up. I love it though. But, uh, he talks real Southern. So that's kind of when you get the feeling that this book is kind of based in the South. I don't know if that's true or not. It just feels like it to me, especially with the way Edmund talks as well. So uh, Buzz is talking to them and uh, brings them home. And Lori decides that he's okay too. You know, she thinks about taking a shotgun from him, holding him at gunpoint, but she doesn't. And in the end, she decides it's not necessary because he's just a good old boy, you know, and he really is. He's just a nice Southern guy. And uh, Buzz is talking to them about different things, you know, specifically his life. He lived in Killen growing up, and then uh, he met a girl he loved, and they mo she wanted to move out, so she he moved out with her. They had a couple of kids, and then uh, when she died, he decided to move back to Killen and back to the shack, and he's like, you know, everything that's born on the river dies by the river, and I guess that includes me. So... He's uh, not very well off. The shack he lives in has been in his family for generations, he says. And kind of like Edmund's shack and his family's shack. But this one is in clearly much better condition, comparatively speaking. It's still not a Taj Mahal. Um, still not great, but it's 50,000 times better than staying at Edmund's place or staying outside. So, uh... Buzz offers them some food and he's, you know, talking to them, wondering why they're out there. And uh, Lori says, well, I'm here because my friend sent me on a mission, sort sort of. And he says, what kind of mission, you know, who's your friend? And she says, his name's Ed. Uh, and he clearly, like, his face goes pale, his jaw goes slack. He's like, not Ed Cox, you know. And she's like, well, it might not have been him, you know. And he's like, no, no, no. There's only been one guy named Ed that lives along this river, and it's the serial killer. And she's afraid that he's going to kick him out, but he doesn't. He just kind of shakes her, his head at her. And uh, this guy, like, you could just tell he's seen some shit, you know? And uh, Buzz explains to her about the river man. You know, he doesn't have a name. He's a folklore around here. Uh, you go see the river man, and he gives you what you want. But in exchange, you, you don't really so much make a deal with the river man as, uh, you know, because, like, it, when you're making a deal with the devil, you go and you make a deal in exchange for, like, your soul or something, and he says, you know, when you go make a deal with the river man, the river man gives you what you want, but he makes the evil inside of you bigger and badder. And he talks about how his dad went and saw the river man, and how every man who goes to see the river man takes his woman with him, you know, and, uh, just kind of, like, you know, and it's really, like, an illustration of how, you know, anyone, like, 
your life affects your loved ones and your decisions affect your loved ones, whether you want them to or not. That's just the way it is. So Lori's kind of like, yeah, whatever. You know, she doesn't believe Edmund would send her out here on a goose chase. So she's got to believe that the river man is something, someone somewhere, you know? So, uh, the, and he also knows about the preacher man Buzz does. And he tells him, uh, that he has his own kind of religion. He had like a cult, so to speak, going. And then uh, he, I don't know if it was quote unquote consensual or not, but uh, there was a 14 year old girl. He had gotten pregnant and she died giving birth to twins. And then he went to go baptize his twins in the river and he drowned them. And he said, you know, he was always kind of weird, but he really hadn't been right since then. So. Uh, that's this deal behind the preacher man. So you get the kind of feeling that he's a preacher man for the river man. And uh, that gets confirmed later on. Not that that's necessary right now. Just some fun background stuff. <laughs> fun, quote unquote. But uh, at this point, we're also getting more of Lori and Abby as teenagers. And it's all from Lori's perspective, you know. So Lori remembers when they were teens, uh, she had a crush on this one kid. And, uh, Abby started dating him and she was just burnt up about it. You know, he'd been nice to her. And so she thought maybe they had something going on, but really he was just being nice to her because it was, she was Abby's sister and she was just so doggone upset, especially since Abby is so much bigger and better than her and, you know, just brighter and shines like the sun and Lori's like, you know, some hermit crab, you know, book nerd. She's like, I'm never going to get a guy just doing my stuff by myself, you know? And then uh, she goes out there one day to their swing over by the creek and she sees her sister and the boy having sex and she's like, oh, you know? And she thinks to herself, like, you know, I I want a guy, but I'm never going to get one because what do guys want? They want sex. And so she's like, I'm never going to be able to please a guy. I don't know how to do that. And there's no one really to practice with. And so she's, like, kind of scheming something in her head at this point, you can see. And, uh, that's kind of where we're at on that. And then we go back to the present. I will say that probably some of the back and forth stuff, I've got a little convoluted, but I don't want to give you too much too soon. Because, uh, like I said, you the way he writes the, the characters, you really get to understand their point of view. And you really get to the point where you don't want anything bad to happen to them. So they wake up the next morning. Buzz did not kill them in their sleep. He was very gentlemanly. He gave, you know, both of them better place to sleep than himself. He slept in the lazy boy. One of the girls slept on the couch. The other slept in his own bed. So they wake up the next morning and Lori's like talking about going up the river to see the river man, blah, blah, blah. And Buzz is like, you're not gonna find him like there he's I've been up this river thousands of times and I ain't never seen no river man and he said you know I, I've got a boat that I go fishing out on sometimes but it, so I know and she said oh hey you got a boat she's like I'll give you what I got saved up which wasn't much it was 500 bucks but it was more than what Buzz had so she's like hey you know I'll give you 500 bucks if you take us up the river today and he doesn't want to do it, of course, because he, A, thinks it's a waste of his time, and B, even if the rubber man is real, he doesn't want anything to do with him. So, 
Boaz caves into the 500, though, because he's got, you know, stuff that he wants. He wants his tobacco, you know, he wants ammo for his gun, you know. So he agrees to it. They start going up the river, and Buzz brings his guitar, and he turns out to be a pretty good guitar player, pretty good blues singer. So he's singing blues while they're going up the river, and it's hours of just nothing, they say, you know, just looking at water and trees along the river and just nothing. Lori's thinking about stuff from her past and Abby's thinking about stuff and eventually they get into it and then Buzz kind of calms him down and Buzz is talking about his own past and different things and then finally Buzz is like we better turn around because the, the river gets rocky up ahead my, my boat won't make it through. And Lori's like, no, we want to wait, like, let's just wait a little longer, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, 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 like, I'm done, you know, we're going back. And that's when the river turns to blood. And Buzz, understandably, is freaking out. He's like, I've been through this river so many times, and it ain't never been blood before. And Lori's like, well, maybe it's just some kind of plant matter. And he's like, no, 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 that's blood. We're turning around. There's flesh in this river. You know, we really are way too close to the river man now. You know, I thought he was just a legend, but clearly he's not because the legend talks about when the river turns to flesh, you know, and he's like, mm -mm, nope, we're going, we're turning around. And Lori's like, no, please don't, you know, they get into it. And the argument is settled by Abby when Abby slams her crutch on the back of Buzz's head and kills him. And Lori is shocked. Because her sister doesn't have a violent bone in her body, you know? She's got the mind of a seven-year-old. So she is, like, freaking out. And the first thing she says, you know, we got to get rid of the body. So they pull over to the shore and they kind of put Buzz's body in the water and float it into the reeds. So hopefully it gets stuck there and nobody ever finds it. So then they turn and they go back out and, you know, they're trying to find the river man. And we get to see a little bit more of the past. And, uh... Abby gets home late one night when they're teenagers, and she's a little tipsy, a little drunk. She'd been out at a party, and she really has to pee. So she leaves, and as she's going to the bathroom, she can hear something in Pete's room, and she thinks maybe it's his night terrors. So he gets them pretty bad, and she said, you know, if she thinks to herself, like, if mom and dad wake up, they're going to check on her, and if they smell her breath, they're going to be upset. So she's like, might as well go wake Pete myself. So she goes to open the door a little bit, and uh, she doesn't find Pete having a nightmare. She sees Lori on top of Pete having sex with him. And you're like, whoa, whoa. And Abby is so upset, she goes and throws up, understandably. And then we see things from Lori's point of view. You know, she doesn't have a boyfriend. She doesn't have any guy friends to ask to help her out in the, you know, lovemaking department. So she enlisted her younger brother, who's just hitting puberty. And uh, she tells him, like, you know, you cannot tell anybody about this. And one night he really tries to convince her to stop. You know, he's like, we have to stop this. This is wrong, blah, blah, blah. And he never wanted to do it in the first place, but... Like I said, you know, Lori kind of raped him. So she tells him, we're not stopping because I'm not done yet. And which, holy shit, can't imagine saying that to anyone, let alone your young brother. It's fucking horrible. 
And she says, I'm not done yet. I still need to do some more experimenting. You still need to help me out here. And if you tell anyone, I'm going to tell them you forced yourself on me. And Pete is shocked. And we've already established in the story, too, that Pete has it ingrained in him not to tell on his sisters or else they exclude him from stuff. So not only has this already been nurtured in him, it's now being this threatened upon him. If you tell, I'm going to make it your fault. So Pete, after that, just kind of shuts down. Um, it's, oh man, the way the book describes it is really sad. Uh, Pete just stops eating. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't eat anything. His parents offer him all kinds of stuff, and he just refuses to eat, and they take him to therapists, and he doesn't say anything to them, and uh, Abby's always glaring at Lori now, and Lori doesn't quite know why, um, so Pete just withers away, um, it's really, really, oh man, it fucks you up, uh, he just withers away, he, he dies, he's in the hospital, um, just refuses to eat the, it's just eating his soul up, you know, so he gives up kind of, uh, and he's in the hospital for a long time and Lori is pissed. She's like, I already backed off doing what I want to do. And he just, you know, she, she sees it. He's just being petulant. He's just being childish and like, Oh my gosh. So she's out by the creek one day and Abby comes to talk to her about it. And Abby's like, listen, you need to come clean. And she's like, about what? And uh, she's like, you need to tell them what happened. And so Lori's like, what? And she's like, you need to tell them about what you saw. And she's like, you know, thinks she's talking about the guy she likes. So she goes off on Abby and Abby's like, this isn't about him. It's about you and Pete. I saw you guys. And Lori's upset. And Abby's like, listen, Abby is so great like this just solidifies how great she is you know she's like listen you know we can tell mom and dad together I'll be there with you you know that we're still gonna love you we just need to work through this though it's making the whole family suffer and Lori is furious and they get into a scuffle and then Abby trips down the side of the cliff and Lori puts her hand up but not to reach out to her sister she waves goodbye at her and uh, once Abby hits the cliff side and tumbles down the rocks, Lori waits a few minutes and then goes and gets her parents. Um, so her and Pete are in the hospital together, Abby and Pete, and Abby's trying to recover her body. And Pete is, you know, being fussed over by the parents because he's just withering away. And Lori kind of feels bad, but she knows she can get things out of her parents now because they feel bad. They're giving so much attention to both Abby and Pete, which, I mean, understandably so. But uh, Lori goes to go use her dad's money to get something from the vending machine at the hospital. And as she does, she notices Abby's trying to walk and she crumples to the floor in pain. And Lori feels, you know, kind of superior a little bit, especially when she notices, she realizes that, uh, Abby's boyfriend hasn't ever showed up to visit her at the hospital. So, um, that's the past. And then back to the present, they finally find, um, a shack on the side of the river. And they pull the boat over and they get out and they start walking up 
through the forest and the forest is described real creepy all these white trees there's red everywhere it's real spooky and as they're walking they can hear pete laughing in the distance and then uh buzz starts talking to them and uh the way they describe it is real good, but he basically tells them my dad went and saw the river man, gave a soul to sing the blues, and, you know, one day he, you know, he just became mean and aggressive and was always beating on him. He, you know, he'd already established that, but he says, you know, one day he was beating on me real good, and mom went to stop him and was hitting him with a frying pan, and he got hold of it and just crushed her skull, just broke that sucker in like it was an egg. Um... So, you know, we know Buzz's full story now. <laughs> Not a good one. Uh, after his dad killed his mom, his dad went off to prison for it, for obvious reasons. So, Lori's still determined, though, to go meet up the river man. You know, she's got the key, she's come this far, Buzz is dead. She's dragged Abby all this way. You know, they're fighting Pete's ghost now. She's like, mm-mm, I'm not giving up. So... As they're going up this hill, she turns around and notices Abby struggling and she kind of like laughs at her and poor Abby is like, I can do it. I can do it. And she's like laughing at how ridiculous she looks, which is a fucking horrible thing to do and say. But uh, we get up to the cabin and Lori goes to put the key in the door and it turns into flesh and everything turns into flesh. And as soon as the door opens, you know. Lori passes out. Sorry, Lori goes to put the key in the door. I think I said that. But Lori passes out. And uh, she goes to this strange place mentally, you know, metaphysically. She's in some weird alternate place in her subconscious talking to the river man. And the way the river man is described is really good. He's got, you know, five fingers and two thumbs. And he's got thumbnails all over his hands both the front and the back he's got this beard with wasps living in it and birds and uh he's talking to Lori and he asks her you know what she wants and she's like you know I want to be free I want to be free to be with Edmund and he's like well you know what you gotta do you just gotta finish what you started you know it's right there in your grasp you just gotta go for it and in the meantime, Abby is over Lori's unconscious body, freaking out, because she doesn't comprehend that Lori's still alive. She's just unconscious. She's freaking out, freaking out. She had grabbed this fun detail that I forgot to mention. She had taken off Buzz's left leg, uh, because her lucky rabbit's foot is a left foot. So she took off most of Buzz's left foot so she could have that for luck. And, uh... She's there in the cabin with Lori's unconscious body, and she sees the river man in the corner and begs him to, you know, she said, I know I said I want to peep back, but I don't. I just want Lori to be okay. And he's like, well, what do you have to offer the river man? And she's like, nothing. And he's like, you know, then I guess you get nothing. And she's like, oh, hang on. So she goes and gets that foot for him. And uh, Lori wakes up a few seconds later, and, uh, she, as they leave the cabin, because Abby, all Abby wants is for Lori to be okay. You know, she, especially in this moment, expresses how much she needs Lori, how much she loves Lori. She only hit Buzz to protect Lori. And so when Lori comes to, they, you know, she thanks the river man and they go to leave. And uh, she imagines herself out at that creek again behind their house. And she's standing there with Abby and she puts her shoulder on Abby and Says her goodbye and throws her right over the fucking cliff. 
And in real life, she goes right over the, the cliff of the riverman's cabin and uh, hits the rocks. And she leaves her there. She goes back in Buzz's boat. And uh, she doesn't stay in Buzz's cabin again. She just keeps on going through the night. And the next morning, she's still walking to her car. Because she's ready. She's ready for this to be over. She's ready for the nightmare to be over. She's ready to be ready. She's ready to get out of these haunted woods. She's ready to put it all behind her and go back to Edmund. And as she's walking, the preacher man's there again. And he says, oh, you know, I see you found the river man. And, you know, he's... He's like, I hope you got what you're looking for. And then he starts singing about the river man and how the river man's going to save them. And you're like, oh, all right. Creepy preacher. Check. So she gets in her car and she's driving home. And she can hear just the faintest sound of some kind of news bulletin coming over the radio talking about some kind of jailbreak. So she turns it up. And, of course, there's been a jailbreak at prison, and there's they've recovered all prisoners except one who everyone should consider him armed and dangerous. And she's all excited because she knows. She knows it's Edmund, and she's hyping it up in her mind, romanticizing the moment when they meet again, and they can be with each other, and they can run away together. And she gets back to her apartment, and the door is already slightly open. And all of the excitement kind of drains out of her. And the reality of what's happening kind of sets in. Um, she goes into her apartment and there's little red trickles across the carpet leading to her bedroom. And then she opens her bedroom and she sees a, a dead body in there and a beheaded woman. And it's Nico and uh, Edmund's petting the severed head on his lap. And he's sitting there butt naked, covered. In, he's got blood on his chest hair and blood on his legs. And he tells her not to be jealous. He's like, you know. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been out and done my thing, so, you know, you, don't be jealous, you're still the one, you know, like, I still love you, you're still the one for me, and she finds that she is jealous, and she's terrified, and, uh, he gets up, and, uh, he's like, you know, Nico, when I called her over here, she was willing enough up until it was ready to get down to business, and then she started screaming and fighting me, and he's like, but you're not like that, and so he... She's been called the willing one by the preacher man and the river man. And so she she is willing. She gets naked for him and she says, you know, will it hurt? And he says, love always does. And that's kind of how the book ends. And uh, I think it's really, really interesting. Just the whole thing, of course. Like the way everything's described, the way everything is done. The way the characters are horrible, but you're like, Lori has to survive so Abby can survive. And you kind of want Lori to turn it around anyhow. Because um, you do kind of feel for her in a way. Uh, but she destroys her whole family, uh, both back then. And then she chooses to destroy her family again uh, towards the end of the book there. In trying to, and she does that in favor of looking for love in all the wrong places, essentially. Looking for to someone who's never going to love her like her family would or love her the way love is supposed to be. Um, and I, th I just think that's so like everyone knows someone like that or has been in a situation like that where, you know, you realize that person or you yourself are throwing away real love for something fake, something that's going to hurt you, something that's, 
you know, it's not pure, you know, Edmund's not looking to love her forever and ever. He just wants his own satisfaction, and that's what he likes about her, is she's willing to do that for him. And uh, because she feels so irredeemable, so ugly, so filthy, and he will accept her. And so it's like, it's this vicious cycle of like this insecurity leading to this bitter resentment that leads into this corrupting feeling of just evil and, um, you know, corruption and perversion and it just eats you up and it takes, takes away your life, your whole life. Um, and her whole life is basically taken away by those things she did when she was younger. And then she just reaffirms that by killing Abby in the end. Um, and it's a really good metaphor, honestly, for that kind of a thing, that sort of relationship that she has with herself, her actual loved, loving loved ones, and then the guy she chooses. So it's a very interesting read. Like I said, it's not for every, it's not actually, it's not for everybody. I'm going to 100% say that. But if you're looking for something, oh, my poor dog, she's having a nightmare. If you're looking for something uh, that's beyond um, what you usually find or see, like I've never seen a Christopher Triana book in a Barnes and Noble per se, uh, because it's just, they're so intense. Um, it's just, it's just good stuff, man. Um, yeah. And if you want to check out this book, I'm going to leave a description, a link in the description below where you can buy it on a Kindle or you can buy it off of Amazon. Cause like I said, you're not going to find it in like a Barnes and Noble or anything. And if you use that link, it helps me out too. Uh, I get a kickback from that. Not that I like Amazon, but, you know, kickbacks are nice. Um, so I'll put that link in the description below. I'm also really excited to read his next book that just came out last week called Prettiest Girl in the Grave. Um, I'm going to leave a link to that below. Hopefully I'll get to reviewing that soon. Just kind of depends on when I get my hands on it. And who knows, maybe you'll read it and be done with it by the time I read it and be done with it, and then it, you'll be ready to listen to the next review I have of books. Um, I would love to see this as a movie, though. That's like a super random side note. I just think it would be fantastic. For me, it would be oh, it would be a terrifying movie, uh, just give you chills sort of thing, if they did it right, of course. But that would be wonderful to see, so spread this book around like it's a disease. <laughs> that is, if you know other people who are freaks like you and me. Thank you for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hopefully you like the book reviews, because like I said, I do want to review Prettiest Girl in the Grave. If you've got any movie recommendations or movie review recommendations, hit me up in the comments or email me at bewarethemoonpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, though, I hope you guys stay good, stay safe, and as always, beware the moon.